All right. Good morning, everybody. Good to see you. Uh, we're missing our some of our teens today. They're at Winterfest. I mean, not Winterfest. Sun Quest. Just one of the faster quests. But uh, they're having a great time. I know Bella's. My daughter's there, and she's uh, really enjoying uh, her time um, there as well. So, so we're glad glad they are, and we're glad that you're here. And we got to sing a couple of newer songs that we haven't sung in a while. Uh, and you're sounding great. And you can see why we want to bring some of these songs back because they're absolutely beautiful. They have these, these wonderful words of praise and thanksgiving and so forth. Um, but today I want to start off with a statement that may surprise you a little bit. And that statement is simply this. Salvation is not God's ultimate plan for us. I know, and that was kind of a strange thing. It's the beginning in understanding his purpose, which is his purpose is for the saved to be his disciples, to follow him, to emulate him. It's great to know that we're saved, isn't it? But the question is, are we becoming like the one who saved us? Discipleship, as we're going to talk about, it is a process. And I think that's important for you to understand. It's not something that happens automatically. That all of a sudden we've got all the answers. That all of a sudden we're doing everything, we're just, we're just like Jesus. It is a process in our lives where we try to bring all of our lives under the supreme rule of Jesus Christ. And so that's why we are beginning this new series called The Whole Disciple. Because we want to be like Jesus in every way. We want to be a follower of his. We want to be a learner, which is what that word means. And we begin today with the idea of, whoops, not singing again, uh, but thinking biblically. Thinking biblically. It's so very important. Because here's what we, we understand in Scripture, and that is God cares about how we think. He created us as creatures, humans, to have these unique abilities, these cognitive abilities to think, to reason, to ponder, to assess. Unlike all the other creatures of his creation. And when we say that we are a follower of Jesus then he expects us to have a distinctive type of thinking that is different from the world. Now, we often hear of this called a worldview. You ever heard of a worldview? A worldview, by definition, it means um, it's an overall perspective of how we see and interpret the world. It's where we get our values, our beliefs, Okay. So our worldview answers these fundamental questions of life for us. For example, who am I? <laughs> Where did I come from? Is there something bigger than me in this world? What is right? What is wrong? All of that comes under this idea of a worldview. So when we talk about thinking biblically, what we're saying is we are allowing the scriptures of God to shape our thoughts, to shape how we see the world. And it helps to answer lots of questions as we go through life. Such questions as, okay, 
what kind of person should I marry? It answers the question of what defines marriage. It, it answers questions as like, what should I do with my money and my possessions? How should I look at them? It even answers such things as, what kind of things should I and should I not post on social media? And you're like, whoa, 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 now come on now. I know the Bible doesn't say anything about social media. No, 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 it doesn't. But there are principles that come out of Scripture that help us in trying to determine if something is good and pure or whether it is something that is vulgar or detestable. If it is something that is truthful or if it's something that is slanderous. If it is something that is, is helpful or if it's something that's hurtful. That's what our worldview does for us. And this, this mindset is very important uh, when we look at, at, at all of these things. Because Right now in our culture, we just see a lot of different worldviews, philosophies, and, and there are things that they look at and, and the world says, this is why we do this, because we think it's a good thing. I'll give you a great example of what I think is very popular in our world today, and, and that's cohabitation. Some of you, you're like, what's cohabitation? You older people, that it's shacking up, okay? For those of you who are younger, that's when a couple decides they're going to live together before they get married. And, and the worldview is, hey, listen, if we, two people can live together, then they can kind of figure out if they really want to get married, if they really want to make this, this lifelong determination. And it sounds good. And, and so, hey, if we can live together for a while, then, then it's going to help us in knowing this. And, and may even look at it and say, look, we're trying to, to have something that's long-lasting and everything else. But our biblical worldview says, wait a second, I hear what you're saying, but that's not the way the Bible puts it. The Bible says, look, it, that a household is made when a man and a woman, they are brought together by God, they are made one flesh. And that sexual relationship, the marriage bed, is something that should be undefiled. It should be something that is, is for the consummation of that, of that marriage and everything else. You say, yeah, but doesn't it make sense? I understand what you're saying. But here's what the statistics say. God's right. Because the stats show that those who cohabitate before they get married, they have a higher rate of divorce than those who do not. In other words, it just didn't do what we think it does. And sometimes that's the way it is with God's Word. It's like, you know what, that just seems a little bit outdated. But then we realize, you know what, God kind of knows how we are. And so we put ourselves through these things. How we love. We agree with a lot of things that the world says about love, about a lot of things, right? I mean, we are to love our spouse. We are to love our family. We are to love, you know, our friends. We are to love the people who do good things for us. But when we have a biblical worldview, it takes us a little bit further than the world, doesn't it? Because then we realize we've got to love our enemies. And that one's hard. <laughs> that one's real hard. But that's a biblical worldview. And even though it's hard, and even though we can't always quite understand it, it's a part of that thinking. We talk about, or we, at least we've heard a lot about, the sanctity of life this last week, haven't we? If you've kept up with the news whatsoever, you heard about Texas, great win for pro-life. Great win for pro-life. But when we talk about the sanctity of life, there's more to it than just whether a person is going to get an abortion or not. You're going you're gonna to be faced with a lot of things. What do you do when a loved one 
is, is put on a, a life support and there's no quality of life. Should, should, do you pull the plug or not? And I'm not here to give you answers. <laughs> I'm here to tell you you're going to wrestle with those things because sanctity of life is one of those things we've got to wrestle with. Uh, or let's just say someone that you love, uh, your own family member, they are murdered by someone. Do you want them to seek the death penalty? How does that, how does that go into your worldview? Or your, yeah, your biblical worldview? Or does it? Um, what about how we think um, the U.S. pulling out of Afghanistan? And let's just take it a year thing. Not just Afghanistan, but Syria. Two different presidents. Two different countries, two different political parties pulling different ways. And in both of those situations, when the U.S. pulled out of those places, those who were our allies, people who helped us, they were slaughtered. There were the Turks. And then there were the Afghan. Not all the Afghan, but we know that there are those who are being slaughtered. But, but then we turn around and we say, well, yeah, but what about the military folks? Our own U.S. Folks are over in another country, and they're dying in these countries. And, and so we have to wrestle with these. How does my biblical worldview, how, how am I supposed to think about these things? And, and if, you're, if your worldview is a political worldview, it's not a biblical worldview. Because guess what? I know this is going to surprise you. But every president no matter what party they come from, no matter what kind of character they have, they've all made wrong decisions at times. And if I only support, if I am going to support that president or that political party every single time, then I don't have a biblical worldview. What I have is a political worldview. Now, our biblical worldview helps us in determining who we vote for. And it's getting a little tougher, isn't it? <laughs> But it does, you know, it's like, okay, my biblical worldview, what does it say as to the character of a, an individual? Is that important to me? How, policies, we've always looked at policy. How, how, how do I, and, I'm, and I wrestle with those things. That's what I'm supposed to do as a Christian. I'm supposed to wrestle with those things and determine how does my biblical worldview. Now, we know the Bible tells us to pray for those who are in authority, right? First Timothy 2, verse 2, we are to to be obedient to our government as long as it doesn't uh, take us away from the obedience of God. Romans chapter 13, 1 and 2, that's all biblical. Honoring and respecting those in authority, that's, that's biblical. Romans chapter 13 and verse 7. However, you don't justify an evil act because that's my president. You don't justify it because that's my political party. Because when you do it, you no longer have a biblical worldview. What you have is a political worldview. And that's just one example. In our biblical worldview, we're supposed to wrestle with them. It'd be easy for me to come up here and say, okay, here's what I want you to think on all these policies. That's not how that's supposed to work. I'm supposed to read my Bible. I'm supposed to really think about things. I'm supposed to pray about things. And I'm trying to make the best decisions that I can. And here's what you're going to find is sometimes you're going to regret the decision you made. And you're going to feel like, you know what? I wish I'd have done this. I was doing the best of what I had, but I'm still wrestling with it because that's a part of the progression of a biblical worldview. And not all of these things are just black and white for us. There's a brand new, it's almost like Barna, the Barna group knew I was going to preach on this because last week they came out with a brand new survey. 
and it's people who are self-identified Christians. In other words, they just simply say, you know, you call up, are you a Christian? And they say, yes, I'm a Christian. They just self-identify in that way. And of those who self-identify in America, 69% of Americans say, yes, I identify, self-identify as a Christian. But what they found also in that same study is that only 9% of this group have a biblical worldview. Now, they found that there's, there's a lot of things that they have a, that they absolutely line up with what God calls for or what we are to have, such as they believe God created the world and rules over it. They believe God cares about moral choices. They believe God gives people unique callings. But there are other aspects of what they believed that were not a biblical worldview. Things such as they believe all religions are equal. I'm talking about all world religions. That the Holy Spirit is not a personal being. That people can earn their way to heaven just by being good. They reject Jesus as the only person who can save them. They reject marriage as between one man and one woman. And they reject that premarital sex is wrong. So there's this, this worldview that's here. That's the new statistics that just came out from the Barna Group. Four years ago, they did one uh, on a worldview, on, on our Christian worldview, and what they call, um, what they call practicing Christians. And so they define practicing Christians as those who go to church at least once a month and who say that their faith is very important to them. Okay? So when we say practicing Christians, this is, what, this is how they identify them. And this is in 2017, so this is about four years ago, and what they discovered is some different worldviews. One of them is what they call a new spiritual worldview. And of those who say they are practicing Christians, they believe 28% strongly agree that all people pray to the same God or spirit, no matter what name they use for that spiritual being. They also found that 27% believe meaning and purpose come from becoming one with all that is, that is the, what was said previously, and that 32% strongly agree that if you do good, you'll receive good, and if you do bad, you'll receive bad. What does it sound like, Joe? Karma. Yeah, yeah, karma. Uh, 52% strongly agree that the Bible teaches God helps those who help themselves. Now, if anybody finds that in their Bible, bring it to me. It's just not there. But this is those who have practicing Christians. This is what they found. But it wasn't just among the practicing Christians who had this new spiritual worldview that's kind of popped up, but also a materialistic worldview. 10% say that a belief has to be proven by science in order for you to know that it's true. That 13% believe a person's life is only valuable if society sees it as valuable. Well, that's scary, isn't it? 20% believe meaning and purpose come from working hard to earn as much as possible so that you can make the most of life. Then there's a postmodern worldview. 19% say no one can know for certain what meaning and purpose there is in life. Now again, these are all the practicing Christians. 23% of those say that it is morally right or wrong, morally right or wrong, depends on what an individual believes. You ever heard anyone say, listen, that's my truth? That's a postmodern worldview. 15% say that if your beliefs offend someone or hurts their feelings, it is wrong. I guarantee you that's a higher percentage over the last four years. What do you think? Yeah, I think it is. 
So these are just some of the worldviews that affect Christians. I'm not talking about the world's worldview, okay? We kind of have an idea, but what we're seeing is that the world is affecting us. It's affecting how we think, and that's why we got to get back to the Bible, to the biblical worldview that God has given to us. And that's why, that's why you see Paul, when he's writing to these early Christians, I mean, he is so adamant about some things. He's not writing to non-Christians, he's writing to the believers in these churches. And this is what he says in Col- to the, Coloss- the churches at Colossae. He says, see to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy or empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. How many of you have ever heard of Carlos Humberto Santana Bergen? Well, you have. We know him as Santana. <laughs> Santana, brilliant guitarist. Just, he, he pioneered this, this music that is, it infuses rock and roll with this American Latin jazz, and it's just so smooth, so smooth. Um, but he illustrates what we're talking about with, with a worldly viewpoint that we find with people who are believers in God. And this was like last week or the week before he was in an interview. And this is what he said. He said, there is a lot of Godzilla energy in the Bible, but God is love. So just like you update your phone and laptop, we need to update the Bible. In other words... The Bible doesn't quite fit my worldview, so the world, so the Bible needs to fit, in, or how I see God, or how I see the world, and therefore it needs to change. Some of you saw this this last week. Some of you would be like, I can't believe this, and some of you are like, I'm not surprised at all. Harvard University, they hired Greg Epstein to be their new chief chaplain for Harvard. He's an atheist. And you say, well, yeah, well, it's Harvard, it's this secular school and all that. A lot, you may not know anything about Harvard then. Harvard was founded upon a Christian principle. I mean, it's, it was a Christian school. In fact, their motto, their motto that goes all the way back to the 1600s, and, and I'm not going to give you the Latin because I tried it and it just it doesn't work for me, but this is what it means in our language, for the glory of Christ. And so they just hired this guy. He is, he is in charge of all the chaplains. I think they have like 30 chaplains. This is a guy who wrote the book, Good Without God. And, and what a billion non-religious people do, uh, do believe. And Joe, who are those people? Yeah, the nuns. Remember, if you were in Joe's class, they're the nuns. N-O-N-E-S, not the other nuns. It's the N-O-N-E-S. And so that's, this, is, this is where we are. This is where our world is. This is where we're seeing them and how they've creeped in for centuries and, and how it continues over the last decade or so and how it continues and why it's so important for us to get this because of how quickly it can happen to us. Paul knew that, the apostle, and he writes to the Roman church and he says, do not be conformed to this world. Now, wait a second. Why would you say that to Christians? Why are they conformed? Because, we, we, because that's not natural for us. Because we need to be transformed by the renewing of our what? Mind. 
that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. The world has beliefs and values that is based upon our own human sinful nature. Okay? And even though, you know, we come out of the waters of baptism, as we say here, and we're walking in this newness of life, there is a transformation that has to happen. The Spirit of God lives in us, He dwells in us, but we've got to be very conscious of this idea. We need transforming. And he says the key to transformation is the renewal of the mind. It comes through the mind. It's, it's how we think. It shapes us. A mind that desires to please God instead of pleasing our own selfish and sinful desires. Okay? Not someone else's selfish and sinful. Our own. And we have to ask ourselves, what is the will of God? Right? What is the will of God? Because that's the way, this, how can we be transformed if we don't know what God's will is? And so we have to find out what that is. Otherwise, we're just like Santana. And we're just basing it on what we believe. This is who God is. This is what God thinks. And therefore, so we have to go somewhere, and it has to be God's word. This is where it happens. And the Bible tells us all kinds of things, and we continue as we grow and as we study. And some of you, if you've been a Christian for years, you should be much more advanced than someone who has not been a Christian very long. And if you're not, you need to really question yourself. But there's a progression that has to happen. And we read such things, and sometimes it just puts it right out there. Here's the will of God. That you abstain from all forms of sexual immorality. Not just one. Sometimes people say, yeah, well, the church, all they ever talked about, homosexuality. No, 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 no. It's all forms of, of, of sexual immorality. All forms. And, you, and so you're like, yeah, amen, absolutely. Well, how well do you do with this one? Give thanks in all circumstances. That's the will of God. Uh-oh. Well, I'm not doing this immoral thing out here. I mean, isn't that good? yes. But are you doing this in all circumstances? Does that come naturally for you? It doesn't come naturally for me. Maybe it does for you. Joe's going to get into the book of 1 Peter this morning. You're going to, man, it's, man, it's such a great book. And when he gets finally into chapter 2, you're going to learn something else. It's the will of God that you do good. Do good to these people who are trying to do evil against you. These people are being persecuted for their faith. And he says instead of fighting them, Instead of yelling at them, he says, do good to them. He says, because you're going to shut their mouths. <laughs> They're not going to know that's God's will. That's what God wants. And, and so in these cases, it says, look, this is the will of God. And, but we, as we continue to study and grow, we learn, okay, this is what God wants for my life. This is what Jesus has says to me. This, this, is, this is the life that I see Jesus living. These are the life of, of his servants, of his apostles, and those who have gone out, and, and we see these great things, and we continue to find ways to transform our lives. To transform our lives. Thinking biblically means identifying the beliefs and values that are promoted by the world 
and assessing as whether or not they conform to God's will as revealed in Scripture. And folks, I can't put it any other way than this. You've got to be a student of the Bible. If your biblical worldview is based on coming to church once a week and getting a TED Talk, you're slowly going to continue in being conformed to the world. If you're relying on me to tell you everything you need to believe, you're going to continue to fall into the ways of the world because you've got to be in it all through the week. You've got to let it challenge your own life. I'm not talking, when I say you've got to be in the Word, I'm not talking about going and finding scriptures, taking them out of context in order for it to fit your worldview. By the way, you can do that. People do it all the time. I, I, I saw this week, it was, there was one that someone took out of the Bible and said, see, God is, is, is pro-choice. And I read it and I'm like, what? What, what do you, people do this all the time can't do that that's not how we do the bible we we don't go to the bible so we can find those passages so that we can point at other people and say see you're doing wrong no 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 i go to the bible so it confronts me so that i i look at my life and i say to myself where do i fit into all of this how what kind of sinful patterns maybe have i developed and so the question is do you read your bible regularly that's the question you got to answer you know, one time we gave everybody one of these bookmarks. You remember these? Uh, and that was so that when you read your Bible, there's four questions on there. You know, when you, when you read whatever you're reading, do, first of all, do you, what do you learn about God? Don't skip that one. A lot of times we just want to go to the last one. No, no, no. You, better, you need to know who God is. Because it's going to help you better understand of why you're putting this in your life. What do you learn about other people? What kind of things are you struggling with? Because sometimes, sometimes there are. I'll, just, I'll be honest with you. Sometimes I don't know. But, I, but I'm meant to, to take this and ponder it and think about it and, and fig, try to figure out what it is that God is trying to tell me. Now, if you don't have one of those, you want to get one of those, you can get with Peyton. Uh, I think he has those. Um, and, and if you're a guest, we, we, we have these guest packets. And in that guest packet, we don't just tell you what we believe. We give you the book of Mark. And it's a journaling Bible. You can write in it. And on there, you also have a bookmark. And it's got those four questions. Because we just want you to read. We just want you to read, and we want you to ask yourself those questions. Because they're important. And so here's what I want to challenge all of us to do this week. And really, not just this week, but beyond. Because we're talking about being a whole disciple. A whole disciple isn't something you do once a week. It's something you do every day. It's something you say, this is who I'm going to be. And so here's the things that, that I want to challenge you with. First of all, sit down every day and just pray that God will open up your heart to whatever it is that you need to know. What is it in my life that I'm not conformed to your word? What is it in my life that I just don't have the right, the right understanding about? And then the next thing to do is read your Bible. And my challenge to you is do it five times a week. You do it every day, that's fantastic. 
But I just want to challenge you five, five days a week. That gives you two days that, you know, things just go haywire. All right? Five days. And, and, and not just like, I'm just going to read one proverb. <laughs> no, no, I want you to read. Find something to read. You may want to read in Proverbs. You may want to start one of the Gospels of Jesus. You may want to start in Genesis. You may want to start in Acts or Romans. You may want to start in, in Psalms. But find a place and read. And ask yourself those four questions as you read. And ponder it. Think about it. That's why God gave us a mind. Let it renew your mind. And then the last thing to do is sit down and pray again. And if there's some things that God's revealed in your life, you know what? I'm, I haven't conformed my life to this. Let me tell you, God's not going to just strike you down in the prayer. He's going to be so thankful that you're seeing it and you care. And what you also pray for, not just repentance, but, but also God's going to help you. God help me in this thing. Because some of the things we're talking about, they're not easy to do. And God's asking us to change the way we think, to change the way we live our lives. And I need his help. I need the help of God's spirit who lives and dwells in me. And so I pray about those things. You know, recently when Sumara, who's with us, she, she was in, in rehab after she had all her heart problems and things. She told me, she, uh, I went to visit her and she said, you know, I just miss my Bible. And uh, she just didn't have time, you know, when you're having a heart attack or something, you don't think about, hey, grab my Bible. But, uh, you know, she was, she was having all kinds of issues or blood sugar and, and things of that sort. I think I said heart, but it may have been all of that. Uh, but either way, you know, and so the next day I brought her a Bible. And she just, she just held it to her, and she just had this on her face. It was relief. It was joy. Because she missed it. That's the way we ought to be. We just, if we're, if we're away from God's word for very long, we just miss it. You know, a lot of things happen in my life, but I miss this. This book has the power to slowly kill that, that sinful nature that we have, all of us have within us, and allow the spirit of God to dwell in us. There are hundreds of reasons that you can find for not doing this. For not doing this challenge I'm telling you about. You know, you're going you're gonna to start reading. And there are going to be times you go, this is kind of boring. I don't know if you've ever gone through Genesis, Exodus, and then you get to Leviticus. Hmm? You might think it's a little boring. Um, and, and that's okay. Sometimes you may like, this is confusing. That's okay. We're meant to struggle with it. We are. We're meant to wrestle with these things. And that doesn't, listen, when I say read your Bible five times a week, it doesn't mean, you, listen, you may go five verses and you say, you know what, man, I've gone an hour on this because I've really had to think through some things. It's not about reading your Bible in a year. That's fantastic if you can, especially if you've got the time to do that and to ask yourself these questions and to pray and to do, but sometimes you don't. And sometimes you really, you know, you're going to come to a point and you're like, I'm really struggling with this one. So I got to, listen, I got some work to do here. And, and so you're always going to have plenty of excuses. There's going to be parts of the Bible you may find offensive. We may be surrounded by worldly thinking people every day. We may fall in love with one of those worldly minded people, but 
the moment we make peace with the patterns of the world, we begin to conform to the ways of the world and to the thinking and the worldview of our culture. Again, Paul writes, For those who live according to the flesh, they set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit, they set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh, oh, listen to this, is hostile to God because it, it, it does not submit to God's law. And in fact, he said it can't. It just can't submit to God's law. Those who are in the flesh, they cannot please God. That's how serious a situation we're talking about. Two kinds of people, two kinds of mindset. The fleshly mind, it's corrupt, it's weak. Paul describes for us, and you may be saying, well, what is this, all this, this, wor- this fleshly stuff? What is fleshly thinking? Well, Paul kind of tells us a little bit about that when you get into Galatians. Oops. Get into Galatians, and he says, look, here's the works of the flesh. It's, it's sexual sins. It's thoughts of hatred and violence and fury and jealousy. It's a drive to succeed without moral restraints. It's divisiveness. It's envious. It's drunkenness. So this type of mind, he says, look, it cannot serve God because it's in conflict with him and it is under judgment. But here's the beautiful thing. Paul says, okay, let's start with the bad, but then let's get to the good because the next two verses, he says, here's the contrast. He says, be a person who has the fruit of the Spirit. And it deals with the mind, doesn't it? Love, joy, peace. It deals with how we treat our neighbors in, in kindness, goodness, and faithfulness. It, it, it talks about how we are to go about our lives and, and how we are to uh, guiding our conduct, conduct such as faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. If we persist in being worldly, we must expect the world's fate. On the other hand, if the things of God are our main concerns, we can expect life and peace. What is your mindset? Based on your worldview, how would you answer that question? There's a battle that's going on for our minds and our world, folks. But we have a choice. We have a choice. We have a way of combating this worldly worldview with a biblical worldview. That's where the battle is really waged. But it begins right here. God's given us his word. You got to trust it. You got to have faith in it. You got to live in it. Doesn't mean that you understand everything about it. Doesn't mean you're not going to struggle. But it means my main concern is I want to be like Jesus. That's a disciple. That's what it means to be a whole disciple. And that's a big part of it. And, you know, if you struggle with this and you need some help, listen, come talk to us. If you, need just, if you may say, look, I've got some things that are going on. And you don't even want to tell me what they're about. Just, look, I just need to pray about it. And you don't have to just pray with me. Listen, here's a biblical worldview. You don't have to pray with preachers for prayer to be effective. <laughs> get with somebody you know. They love Jesus. And you get down with them and you pray with them. 
Dear Father, we come to you this day. We thank you so much for your blessings. Father, we thank you so much that you loved us enough to send your Son. And Father, we're so grateful for your word that has been handed down to us from one generation to the next. And Father, we fail at times. Sometimes we fail to understand really even what the passage is saying. Sometimes we fail to do what you've asked us to do. But Father, just never allow us to give up. Never allow us to give in. Father, help us to continue to transform into this new creation that, that we have been made through your Son, Jesus Christ. And Father, just help us in this battle, help us in the conflict, until one day, finally, all the things of the flesh, all the things of sin and evil will be finally pushed out, and the only thing that remains is your new creation. Just help us as we go through this world and we battle what is coming at us every single day now. And help us as a church. Please, Father, help us as a church stick together and to love each other and to be an encouragement with one another. And Father, may we all be able, as your church family, to, to be there on that day when your son finally comes. What a great celebration that will be. And it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.